So I'm going to introduce everyone. Uh, our guests today are from all aspects, from little people to grown-ups of the education world. Starting with the little people, we have Sakina Robbins Hello. from Montes Small World Montessori School in Fort Lee. She's the owner and director. And then I guess next in age would be Ken Rhoda with the school district superintendent of schools for Fort Lee Public Schools. And uh, then we've got two college level representatives. Uh, Anita Rivers is the executive director of community relations from Fairleigh Dickinson University. Hello, and, everyone. And Jamie Pardo is the manager of workforce and career placement at Bergen Community College. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So I guess we'll start with um, one thing that I was thinking was kind of interesting. And uh oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I stepped on Jeff Jeff's toes. That's what <laughs> I was thinking with such a small, intimate group that we're, at some point we're going to uh, let each other ask questions of, of the other panelists. Okay. But, what was your thought, Hope? Because, I mean, I was going to start with our standard question we've asked every panel, but go ahead. What's your, uh, what well, was your thought? Well, I was thinking in terms of dealing with, you know, teachers, that group, because I know when I listen to the news, you know, some teachers really uh, felt strongly that everyone should have to get vaccinated and others felt they shouldn't and masking versus non-masking. And then you had the students group, mostly right uh, represented by their parents, you know, because of the age involved. But it seemed like it was almost two different groups of needs and concerns. And so I felt there was an additional challenge in terms of of accommodating those two groups and was wondering how each of you dealt with that issue at your schools. Well, I hope that's really very close to the usual question we start with, where we ask them, you know, because we've all seen the news and everything that we've heard from the news and the conventional wisdom, we usually start by asking the panelists um, what they'd like to add to what we've seen on the news. What did the news get wrong? What did the news leave out? Um, so, you know, to Hope's questions, we saw those two different viewpoints. So what didn't we know about uh, those competing, you know, perspectives? And, and, and what would you like to have shared with us about the last 15 months that we that you think we should know I can, and you want to start i can, I, I can oh, respond. Go ahead, yeah i i just want to respond based upon uh my experience in teaching students during this pandemic and how uncomfortable uh they have been through the virtual uh format now i'm not saying that you know uh there were there were any items missing from it. It's just that 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 social connection, I think, really is is what was missing. And uh, I, I recall a student at the end of this spring semester stating to me uh, how much of a lonely experience it has been uh, by attending college online. Uh, while he, you know, he commended the class and what he learned, um, he really did not feel connected uh, with other students. And I, and I don't think that the, uh, the news really talks much about that missed experience that our young people are, are, are feeling. And I don't think that the news talks enough about the mental um, uh, trauma that is associated with all of this. And, and of course, we're in this more than a year now. And, mm -hmm. and some of our young people have missed out on high school graduations. Some have missed out on college graduation. You know, specific milestones that perhaps uh, Jeff, you and I, and Hope, you and I, uh, you know, can relate to based on our own previous experiences. So, you know, I, I think in this conversation, it is important to to mention that it's that social uh, connection that we're going to really need to focus in on as we're considering moving back to in-person classes in the fall. And that mental health, we all need to be in place to provide support 
um, to, to help our young people really get reestablished. I want to add something to what Anita was saying, because you are dealing with older children. We are at the school dealing with very small children, three years old, four years old, and the kindergarten level. When they started the school, we did the virtual for a couple of months. With the kindergarten, it was okay because I knew the children. So it worked. But with the younger children, it was a total failure. When we started the school in September, and the main thing that, and we were all gung-ho that we will have in person. So I started in person because virtual was a failure. And when we started uh, in person, and we were all excited with all the uh, lesson plans and the whole thing. The second day, the first day, I put out the lesson plans and all, and I took a back seat. And I says, no, I'm not going to focus on academics. What we need is the emotional and the mental well-being of the children. Now, how did I address those needs? These are very small children. So you hug them, you do all those things and play with them. But what my focus was on the parents. Mm. So I started to communicate with the parents regularly, which I, I always do. And communicating with the parents via Zoom as a group or and one-on-one -on -one helped the children really anchor in. And the parents, you could see their body language. Really, they just calmed down after a week or two, that they were happy that the children were in a safe place and they were taken care of and the parents were relaxed that our policies and the way we were handling our uh, situation was so uh, perfect that they didn't feel uh, the need to be stressed. and. They started, the parents started to having Zoom nights with each other. So they started to have social nights, which helps the children. Mm -hmm. And that's really how we dealt with the children are very behind academically, painfully behind. But I have to keep assuring the parents that just let it be. Focus on the mental, emotional, and the physical well-being, and on top of it, your emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. The more we focus on the academics, the more we focus on getting things perfect, it's going to make everybody nuts. And it worked. And we were um, very fortunate that so far we were able to keep the school open and the children are doing phenomenally well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that is great. So I mean, we're, we seem to be off on a slightly different topic than where we started with this question, but I'll, so we'll move to you, Ken, with the, with the largest group of students here. So take that topic of the social interaction and, and what were the challenges at the elementary and secondary level? Thanks, Jeff. And uh, I agree with both Anita and Sakina, what they're saying. The social-emotional learning was just a huge component that we have focused on all year. And what you asked, before, Jeff, you know, what, what are we not hearing about? I think what you're not hearing about is a lot of good work that's being done in schools to address that, those issues. Now, I can speak for Fort Lee because I know personally here, but I also know from speaking to my colleagues throughout the county that um, things are happening on all the grade levels with age-appropriate materials. And I can tell you what, what's been going on here is you know, guidance counselors are zooming in on classes, meeting with students, uh, just doing conducting check-ins. Simple online uh, check-ins with kids, asking them, how you doing today? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Even for our younger students, putting a smiley face on there or not. And having the counselors and the teachers reach out to the students and their parents if needed be. But there's a lot of, a lot of effort going into that and the communication piece. And kind of uh, along the lines of what Sakina said, making the effort to address not only the academics, but engaging the students socially because it's so important to all the grade levels. Now, obviously, you know, we have students from age three to age 18 and 19, so we have to tailor it to whatever is appropriate. And we have a, a very busy guidance and counseling department in the district that mm -hmm. really have gone above and beyond. You know, and I think that's the second thing I would mention, Jeff, to your question of what, what's not being seen is the tremendous effort by educators across the state and the county and what they have done this year 
Uh, you're talking about people who were sent home on March 13th saying, we'll be out for two weeks, you know, figure something out, we'll get through it. And then getting an email from someone like me saying, well, it's going to be two more weeks. And now it's going to be till the end of May. And, you know, we have brand new teachers who, to them, this was foreign as well. They may have good, better, uh, good tech skills. And you had, you know, so they're good in that area, but they, they weren't good teachers yet. They're still learning. And we have veteran teachers who are really strong who didn't maybe have the technology who had to learn it on the fly. <laughs> and personally, you know, I know my wife is a third grade teacher. And um, it was a struggle, uh, and it continues to be a struggle. But I think an important thing is the, the grand effort made by educators across the state and across particularly Bergen County, and I know very closely here in Fort Lee, to really reach kids on so many different levels in so many different ways and to maintain that education was ongoing while we're still trying to take care of kids at the same time. I know there were a lot of, you know, as the year progressed, we had a lot more uh, social activities or clubs and organizations that started to kick up doing Zoom meetings. We had Zoom concerts, uh, and I give those teachers a huge amount of credit for putting together uh, an online performance of 70 or 80 band members and syncing all that together and then putting it out to the public saying, here's what the kids are doing while they're home. Uh, we also had a lot of fun with some TikTok things that some of our kids put together and were, you know, were involved. Um, the teachers and the staff at the building did back to school videos, you know, which are more engaging, just fun for the kids to see as well. Mm -hmm. And then in turn, students doing teacher recognition videos, just saying thanks, putting those things together. So you try and address the whole package. And we do it on a regular basis, but this year is just such, such a challenge on so many levels that I think going forward, as we talk about September, that is our big push. You know, the teachers will fall back into the academic rigor that they're accustomed to, but we'll still need to, to address those social emotional issues. And, you know, I need it said it, the loneliness, the loneliness that the kids expressed, but also the staff, the teachers themselves. We had a large number of staff who were not able to come into the building, but even the ones who did were in their classrooms by themselves. They couldn't socialize. Uh, they didn't have, you know, 10 minutes to have coffee in the morning with their colleagues or lunchtime. They were in their room with a mask on behind a plastic shield, and that was it. And the loneliness was felt across the district, you know, by a lot of people. So and not even the loneliness. I mean, I, I talked for 15 years. I know you need to collaborate. You, you know, it's you, you need to bounce ideas off and tell, I'm having this trouble in my classroom. What are you doing to deal with it? Or I, I want to talk about this student. Um, you need that collaboration. A piece of education all the way through is yeah. that collaboration. So, so, Jamie, we'll bring it back full circle, back to post-secondary. Um, same topic. Well, what, what, know, what were your experiences at Bergen? Totally. And, and Jeffrey, I just I can't, you know, agree more with any with what everyone in this panel said today, because, you know, what one of the things that I learned about, you know, last year is emotional intelligence. Right. What happens when we're the smartest in the room, but if we can't communicate what's really important, how we feel, how others feel. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, yes, we could be educators and, and professionals, but one of the biggest things that's very important is also retention, right? Making sure that we, you know, keep these students to work in the state of New Jersey to continue their education in other institutions throughout New Jersey and keeping talent, right? That's the long-term dream, right? However, you know, as many said, right, you know, starting from little ones to adult learners, you know, there's so many challenges, right? from, you know, not understanding technology to understanding technology. But one of the things, though, that I can say that I'm so proud of our Bergen team is that, you know, we started to realize early on that, you know what, support services are needed, right? And how do we solve this? So I was very proud that, you know, throughout our presidency here at Bergen, we were actually able to invest in what we call a new one-stop center, right? So it's actually a brand new one-stop center. It's part of our new infrastructure plan where we have a new set of counselors that, you know, not just encompass our physical student body on campus, but our digital body, right? Because now, you know, we have to think that way, right? It's not just on-site, but it's virtually. So one of the reasons that this was focused on was because, hey, 
what happens if we have those students that need that support, maybe, you know, somebody to talk to, or maybe that counselor that, you know, doesn't work during the times that the student goes to work, but is available offline at a certain, you know, time, let's say at six or seven o'clock, right? Uh, but also investing in technologies that can help them, whether it's a chat feature, whether it's just, you know, having somebody to be there, because I'll always say, you know, the most important thing in today's world is caring right? What good does it matter if we don't care? So caring has been our priority, right? And one of the things that I can definitely foresee in the future is adding more into that pie, right? What can we do for them? Because at the end of the day, you know, being the largest community college in the state, it's a responsibility, right? And the responsibility is putting our students first. So because we've learned from that, and I feel like this has made the roadmap to the future, you know, we are proud and we are ready to, to see what the fall, you know, as Mr. Rota mentioned, what the fall entails. We do have our plans. But you know what? With this focus of putting the student first, it has made the mission clear for us. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the fall. And I mean, I think it might be helpful to just do a real quick roundup of where everyone stands mm -hmm. now, um, you know, for the people who don't have kids you know, in these specific schools. So Sakina, you said, you know, you guys are back in person, you, you know, kind of abandoned the, the virtual. Yeah. Um, so, but I'd like to hear from everyone else. Where, where do things stand now as far as virtual, in-person? Is there a hybrid model? And how that's, you know, leading to what you're doing in September? You know, where do you, where are you going to be in September based on where you are now? Ken, you want to start again with the, with the largest component sure. of students here? What is what are the Fort Lee students experiencing right now, and what are you going to be doing in September? Right now, we, we are still in a hybrid. We have a percentage of students who are, are fully remote and a percentage who are fully in, engaged coming in in person. So we're going to continue that to the remainder of the year. And our plan, though, for September is full school, everyone back in the buildings five days a week. And the, the hybrid now, it's by choice. The parents were opted in. Mm -hmm. It would start by choice and we've maintained it by choice. We gave parents an option uh, midway through the year and then again in, in you know late winter, once again, to change their mind and come back if they'd like to come come back from remote into in-person. And uh, we've done that throughout the year. So our numbers are pretty stable though, as far as the percentages. So it's, it's working, that's the best I can say. Is it perfect? No, it's not what I would prefer, but it is working and we're delivering it. But we're planning, we're excited to be open in September uh, five days a week with everyone back in the building. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk about what September is going to look like with any precautions that are still in effect. But Anita and Jamie, on the we'll start with you, Jamie, this time on the college level. Are you do you guys have any classes happening on campus now, or is it still all virtual? Yeah. So just like Mr. Rota, we have a very similar approach. You know, depending on the majors, right? Because there's some majors that you just have to get your hands busy, right? You know, and it's all in that career-related, you know, focus of education. So, for instance, like our health professions, you know, it's very hard to teach, you know, a certified nursing assistant or a pharmacy technician to use, you know, certain characteristics virtually, right? They need to hold, and you know, even from a, a psychomotoric type of learning where, you know, just holding and learning at the same time, it just sticks, you know, longer in the brain, as I like to say, right? Whereas if you just read it and see it, it does its justice. But to your point, you know, we do have some of these classes where currently our students, you know, we do uh, have a hybrid schedule, right? Uh, but for the fall, because, you know, we're also following state, um, you know, protocol from, you know, the governor and, and all these policies that are being, you know, developed, you know, we are uh, forecasting a full schedule for the fall, right? Because again, these students, right, that are now leaving high schools, right, they, they want to get back, they want to, you know, see, um, you know, an instructor. And sometimes even as I say, and, and I know Anita can attest to this as well, the power of networking, right? You can network, you know, you start networking young, right? But what happens when you're in a virtual world? I mean, here in this call, right, everyone's a professional, so we all know, but, you know, we're still developing some of these young adults. So when these classes, when they're on site, it gives them that just to network, to get to know other students, to get to know their instructors or attend, you know, physical events that could expand that Bergen County network, right? So um, it is by choice, of course, but, you know, we are proposing that, that we do have a schedule where students could attend on-site classes uh, by the fall as well. So, Anita, 
And who's on campus at FDU? Well, you know, we uh, we ended our semester and my colleague Paige Sultano and I, I don't know whether she's still here, yes, uh, represents our Silverman College of Business. She and I participated as marshals at our in-person commencement services uh, that took place last week. And I'll tell you, it was a tremendous experience, super hot, but we didn't mind. And, and I'll tell you, our students were just over the moon. They were just so happy to be able to knock fist or give each other a hug and to see the pods of families uh, at MetLife um, in the arena. It was just a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. Wouldn't you say so, Paige? It was, it was really great. awesome to see students, yeah. Yeah, you both look great in all the Instagram photos, so you look like you're having a good time. <laughs> but we're we're heading, um, you know, full steam ahead for the fall. Our intent is to be uh, in person. We'll provide uh, our classes in person as we uh, would normally. Uh, we do have a complement of online classes that will continue to run. But our goal is to be prepared to welcome students. We're, we're going to have, uh, you know, the red carpet rolled out. We'll have signage. Uh, we'll have sanitization stations or sanitizing stations uh, situated throughout. We'll welcome students back into the residences. Uh, we'll open up the cafeterias. We'll have full athletic events. Uh, it's full steam ahead, and I'm sure... Uh, Paige, you can say a little bit more about uh, the Silverman College of Business. Yeah, go ahead, Paige. You've just been promoted to panelist. Thank you. So, no, thank you, Anita. It, it's, we're definitely looking forward to being back on campus, and we'll definitely have a lot of events for students on campus, as Anita said. Interestingly, I'm teaching a class that's hybrid of, of all things, and so because of that, um, I have the option. So it's in-person every third week. Um, yeah, every third week and then Zoom just to ensure that we touch all of the students because it's bridging both campuses. But even our labs remained in person throughout most of the pandemic and, and certainly in the summer now. But. And, and also, um, let's remember our international students because I think that's one of the hallmarks of the Metropolitan mm. Campus. Uh, because we are so globally focused, uh, we will have to continue a certain amount of of hybrid classes uh, to accommodate our, our many international students. I know this past spring, um, I was corresponding with a student in Kuwait. I'm not sure whether he'll be joining us this fall because I know that we've opened the door uh, for, uh, for tourists from Kuwait to come to America. Uh, I'm not sure whether he'll be one of us and being and able to join us. But uh, it is important to acknowledge that our international students, on the most part, will not be able to travel to campus. And so we're going to make uh, every uh, accommodation we need to uh, to ensure that they can continue in their programs of study. So so is Jamie. And um, go ahead. Hope you had something to say. I do. I'm just curious. Were any was anything special done for freshmen? Because I can't imagine having a freshman student starting college and dealing with um, virtual um, learning. And like, that's such an important component that the, the um, camaraderie, all the yeah. freshman events and- we, a Great minds think alike, Hope, because that was in my notes, because I even remember when I went to college 100 years ago, you know, they made a big deal about, you know, these freshman requirements, these classes on teaching you just how to be a student and how to live on your own. And I know they've come a long way in the last 100 years. Right. Um, so those are a big deal. So, yeah, let's I was had another question ready to go about September. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, even uh, at the high school level, you know, when you move from the middle school to the high school, or from elementary right. school to the middle school, there's orientations. Um, Ken, why don't you start there? What were the orientations like for those groups, or did you just not have them? No, we did have them. We had a combination, once again, with a hybrid kind. Of, we did some uh, Zoom meetings with the parents and, and doing that business, but we did. We were able to open the buildings and get students in in a safe, 
socially distant manner to walk through the buildings, especially those big transition years. For example, ninth grade where they come up to the high school and a lot of kids have never been in there. So we're able to isolate some time and spread it out during the day. We invited groups of kids and small groups to come and walk through the building just so they could be comfortable and then hear from a guidance counselor about the year. We did the same with the incoming fifth graders. That's another for us a transition where students go from their elementary building to the intermediate school. So we tried to do the same type of thing. Uh, it was in the last summer when we allowed students just to come and literally walk through the intermediate school just to see a locker because they don't use lockers in elementary. Right, right. So we did those things and we did a lot of online Zooming with the parents. Was there, what was the orientation retrofitted, so to speak, to deal with um, what they needed to know for virtual learning? Did you guys talk about that and get kids up to speed on what that was going to be like as part of the orientation? We did. We did a little of that, um, you know, fortunately, particularly at the high school level, the kids are more advanced than the, than the teachers most places. So to, to go 100% remote or virtual for them was really not, I would say for probably over 80% of the kids was a no-brainer. So, Sakina, with the younger kids, obviously, in a little different fashion. So. Right. So, Sakina, before we get back to Jamie and Anita to hear about those freshman orientation classes, what were your challenges in getting getting the kids up to speed with doing the technology when you were doing it? It was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> getting I can't the, even imagine trying to get a four-year-old, five-year-old to sit in front of a computer. It, uh, the younger ones... It was a failure. I felt it, to- it was a total failure for the three and the four-year-olds. So what I did was we did a lot of story time and a lot of uh, games and exercises, um, jumping jacks and all that. Uh, we did it with the children. The older ones, the kindergartners, it was very fluid. And they were able to uh, carry on because it was towards the end of the year and they were able to get there they knew what they were doing mm-hmm. so it was fluid and it was easy and they enjoyed it um doing the virtual and then we they had the play dates virtually so it was something new and different for them so it was it was a, a pleasant experience for the children the kindergartners the younger ones a total failure for Just me a personal curiosity how involved does the parent need to be with a five-year-old on a, in a virtual classroom uh, uh, in the Montessori environment, not at all, because they're more of a hindrance. Because <laughs> <it's> constantly- <laughs> well, I think we can all agree that that parents are a hindrance. I don't. No <laughs> argument here. No <laughs> argument in a non-Montessori school here. I'll take offense, Fonda. We have a parent here. <laughs> no, I, I have a similar experience. I have a six-year-old. He was in the first grade, and well, actually, last year he was towards the end in kindergarten and yes, towards the end he was also fluid in uh in technology and virtual learning <laughs> no the children did well the parents i would tell them that please go and have some a cup of coffee and tea and leave the children alone they're fine and they were happy to do that after a while but it was good also in one way the virtual the teacher the parents saw how we teach the children and how the children learn and what were the issues that the children were dealing with as far as learning was concerned. So when I did have meetings with the parents one-on-one, so they were able to understand what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So it had a lot of um, positives with the virtual and the pandemic. I, I took a lot of positives from it and make it made it really nice for the children and the families. I think that's one of our later questions too, what we learned about, you know, what we learned new from the pandemic, what we can keep. Um, we've asked out of all of our roundtables so far. Um, we'll go back to that. But uh, Anita, how, how did we change the freshman orientation classes at the college level? Basically, we simply, you know, pivoted on onto Zoom. Uh, you know, we tried to, uh, from what I understand, uh, the orientation leaders tried to keep it fun and engaging and and interactive as, as much as possible. And I, I really have to 
um, you know, tip my hat, uh, you know, for our student life representatives, um, uh, Richard Mills on the Metropolitan Campus. Um, he literally stayed on campus throughout all of this uh, and made sure that the students who were on campus were engaged, uh, that they had someone to connect with, uh, you know, if they needed and, and you know, just really did a, an, an awesome job. Athletics also, uh, it was important for the representatives to keep our athletes engaged because they weren't able to participate in their sports. And, and so how do you do that? Uh, you have to, you know, come up with, with new opportunities. E-games, uh, I understand, are, are the big thing now so that it helps to channel some of their energy and, and, and uh, um, excitement in terms of their sports engagement. But I teach uh, second semester freshmen in a course that's called Preparing for Professional Life. And I'll tell you, it has been a wonderful experience. And, and I would have to say that while our freshmen have lost out on that social factor, um, I think that by helping them channel their, uh, their thoughts into preparing for their careers uh, and utilizing the resources and tools and, and strategies that I was able to during the course of the semester, really worked out quite well. Uh, the networking piece, I, I tell you, just introducing them to LinkedIn. Of course, we know how valuable LinkedIn is uh, in terms of exposing everyone uh, to the professional world. Uh, that was uh, that, that really proved to be quite engaging. And so um, I would have to say we, we simply, you know, pivoted and, and, and we did what we needed to do to fully engage our students. So, so, Jamie, I seem to remember from the freshman orientation weekend that I went to, you know, before college, um, some of my best friends in college were kids I was forced to meet through icebreaking games that weekend. Um, but I guess students missed out on doing that. I mean, how do you replicate that over a Zoom call? Well, you know, Jeff, and, and I wanted to mention that, you know, Jeff, that's the other thing. One thing is having that connection, but also remember that nowadays, not everyone comes from a wealthy family that could afford a laptop even in the first place, right? So sometimes we tend to think, you know, it's 2021, everyone has access to the internet, to Wi-Fi, to a computer, and believe it or not, not everyone does, right? And going back to the focus of caring and how that, you know, really, really put us in that vision, in that tunnel mindset, was that we started to realize, look, we're going to go virtual, but now we're realizing that some students might not pass maybe because they can't afford Wi-Fi or maybe because they don't have access to technologies. So believe it or not, Jeff, one of the things that we really emphasized was on that and providing and, of course, being of service and giving those technologies to the students that need it at most, right? And I feel like that, believe it or not, that made such a deep connection between students because they were able to say, wow, you know what? I maybe had a challenge in having a computer, but now I do. And now I can connect even deeper with my friends because now I can have a, you know, a friendly Zoom uh, chat or, a, you know, they can just connect deeper with the technology. So believe it or not, from a different perspective, the technology and, you know, just giving students that access, I think it changed the game in a whole different, uh, you know, aspect of things, right? Because now, you know, yes, they say the internet's connected, but sometimes, you know, just giving things like that even makes us more connected. So from that sense, I feel like now students are now, you know, more reliant. They're more comfortable in going to these events. Uh, and believe it or not, Jeff, you know, yes, we did do our orientations virtually. But one of the things that was, you know, as you mentioned, right, how do we keep that connection? How do we make things moving and grooving? So you know what? I was thinking last year when this whole pandemic happened, and as Mr. Rhoda said, right, we've all received those emails like, look, you have to go home. You know, we don't know where you're going to go back. But I was thinking, how are these students going to miss out on their jobs, right? Because mind you, there's some, you know, 19 or 20-year-olds that still need three buses to get home right? Or, you know, still need to rely on public transportation. So I am proud to say that from last year till today, we've had over 26 um, career development events 
that were just targeted at career fairs, at hiring events, at just as you know, Ms. River said, LinkedIn training, right? And you know, one of the things that I can say, Jeff, is this: we made our students connected virtually. We made them now, now that they know each other virtually, right? When they go to classes, I feel like they're gonna say, hey, you know what? We saw each other all over this time, but now we can shake hands, right? But more importantly, I think this is definitely, and as Ms. Robin said, you know, starting from the early ones to the adult ones, I feel like this is shaping the future workforce into a new stratosphere. So it's okay. really interesting seeing how this is moving, but um, again, super proud yeah. and uh, let's connect these students. There's, there's definitely different definitions of connections. So, you know, and, and being connected. So hopefully we continue to focus on all of them. Um, Changing gears a little bit back to something that Jamie said in an earlier question, obviously, you know, regulations and mandates are constantly developing. Um, we're going into a new phase tomorrow um, with our masks and, and social distancing. And I'm not sure where we're exactly will be in September, but what precautions are you planning for? Um, what mandates do you think will still be around and what steps are you um, you know, ready to take for your safety of the students and staff. Uh, we'll, we'll go back to you, Ken, again. I keep starting with you because you've got the biggest number of students and uh, it's a big the most amount of people. We've already, we started working on the answers to these questions about two months ago with the administrative group. Uh, we actually had a meeting with them today and we're talking about just these things and, and trying to decide. Right now though, we are planning, I think masks are here for a while. I don't see that as an option, even with the the latest governor's executive order there about being maskless, there's an exception for schools. Schools must maintain masks. So I think that's going to be here through September and we're prepared for that. Um, the trick, you know, we're trying to order fun masks for the kids to wear. So it's, you know, whatever it takes to get it on their face and to keep it on. Uh, we noticed a little competition among some of our elementary schools by ordering their own masks and little mascots, things like that. But we, we're anticipating that we're going to be doing uh, temperature screening and and uh, screen. We have a screening questionnaire that parents complete every morning. So we'll be doing that. The social distancing is really going to be the critical piece for us. So we're trying to plan to keep the kids at least three feet apart in the rooms. Uh, so all that's going to stay in place. The plexiglass, the hand sanitizers in the hallway, the signs, the one way. You know, for right now we're planning the full push until we get direct instruction from the Department of Education or the CDC that tell us we don't need to do it, we're going to keep doing it just to be on the safe side. All right. Just make sure the kids don't trade masks. I hear that yeah. in the news. All That's one story I hear on the news all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, as, as the kids get younger, it's more and more of a challenge. I think that's for sure. Yeah. So, Sakina, is that what your classrooms look like now and what they'll look like in September? I think so. We, we will continue as... Um, Ken said that we will have the same way with the um, what CDC and the state requirements are. And we are going a couple of steps more than what is required. And um, I'm not going to increase the enrollment uh, drastically. I'll keep it as low as I can to afford to pay my bills, but um, I'm not going to have full house still because I don't want to um, start the school, full enrollment, and then if God forbid there's a pandemic, then we have to reduce the number of children and go on virtually. So from that point of view, we are going to keep the numbers, what we have, 15 per group, and see where it goes. Sakina, are your kids wearing masks, even the little ones? They yeah. are. And they're very good about it. They're extremely, extremely conscientious about it. Just today, I was take, having a cup of tea on the hallway, and I had my mask on, and one of them looked at me the, from the classroom. You don't have your mask on, do you? <laughs> so they are very aware of it, and which is really nice, and they don't have a problem with it. And uh, this year, we have had no colds and um, flu or anything, right. so it was a good, uh, the positive side of a it. A little benefit, I, right? Yeah, I think yeah. we know that six-year-olds are more flexible than 36-year-olds, though, so oh, yeah. that's not no surprise. But, you know, going forward, I think it also says a lot about 
these kids are ready to deal with so much more now because of going through this so young. It's like if they can wear masks at six years old and deal with distancing and all this, like imagine as an adult, like it's not going to be that much that's going to ruffle their feathers. They're they're used to it. Hope so. So, Jamie, with 20 year olds, how flexible are they and what what are you going to have in place for them in September? Definitely. So, Jeff, you know what? Uh, I have to give a big credit to Miss Akina, you know, you know, with teaching them. And you know what? You're right. 20 year olds are still in that line, right, where they're growing and they, they still need to, you know, take a little bit of guidance. Right. But um, as Mr. Roto mentioned, right, we're definitely serious when it comes to safety and security. Right. Because just like we have commuter students that are regionally in our area, we also have international students. But think about it. Right. It's so hard to really track where. Joey and Marie were yesterday, right? Maybe they came from an international flight the night before, or they're going, you know, in a week from now, they're going to return to campus. So for those reasons, I know the college has heavily invested in, you know, safety features from technologies, uh, you know, measuring uh, temperatures on a daily basis on the doors, right? So I know um, from that aspect, I, I have to say technology has been our friend, right? We, we've learned to collaborate with it. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I find very neat, right, from a, from a techie perspective is that in our doors, so when students come in, it's a technology feature that, you know, obviously, you know, checks their um, temperature, but at the same time, it lets the security guard who's managing that uh, facility, it lets them keep track of every student that's there, right? So we're able to, you know, encompass that through our Bergen application as well, right? So that's another fun feature, right? That now, because we have invested in these technologies, so if a student has something, you know, let's say they're worried about something, or maybe they want to contact our staff nurse that we have on campus, they can simply do it from the well, the power of their fingertips, right? They can now just press a button and get that access. So, you know, do I foresee the fall being interesting? I feel that, yes, it will be interesting, but I feel just like everyone, right? We have our boots, we're tying them, you know, them with the best um, resources that we have, but I really do think technology will help us as well. You're, uh, you're big on the technology today, Jamie, you're solutions for everything, but we definitely live in interesting times. Anita, anything different going on at FDU? Well, I totally agree with Jamie and, and uh, uh, Sakina and, and Ken because, you know, we're going to follow the, the protocols and, and we're going to hold our students um, to the letter, essentially. And I think that's why we've been so successful so far, keeping our numbers down. Uh, but going into the fall, masks will be required. Uh, we'll suggest six, you know, six feet in terms of, of social distancing. Uh, but uh, we're, we're just going to, we're going to empower our students um, to, to really, you know, uh, Take some, take on some of this responsibility uh, to to manage uh, their surroundings, to manage each other. We're going to hold them accountable, and hopefully, they'll hold each other accountable, so that um, as we progress through the semester, that it will be uh, a very positive, um, you know, very enjoyable experience. And I, I, I really, really believe that our students will step up to. To the task, I, I really am optimistic about that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the fall. I think we all are. Um, well, me for a lot of different reasons. I just want the summer to be over because of all this baseball going on. But I, <laughs> um, as we near the end of our hour, though, I wanted to switch gears a little bit to one of the other questions that we always ask all the other panels as well, and that's about you know help and assistance and aid, you know, from government and from community. Um, and give the panelists an opportunity to tell us what you still need. So if you, you know, could talk directly to the state legislature, the federal government, you know, and without getting yourself in trouble, um, what would you ask for? Um, Anita, we'll, we'll continue right with you. What, I mean, what government aid has there been for colleges and, and what more do you still think needs to be done, either financially or just in guidance? Well, through the American Rescue Plan, of course, we have the Higher Education Emergency uh, Relief Fund, and, and that's going to help out tremendously. Uh, but 
I, I would ask, ask the government um, to, you know, continue to send us more funding um, so that as we, you know, as we, you know, kick off the, the fall semester and, and as students really settle into place, um, things will evolve. And, and I'm sure that there are things that we haven't even considered at this point. Uh, so I would ask the, the government to, you know, keep the purse open, uh, you know, so that as we're moving along, we continue to support and provide our students with everything that they need. I agree with Jamie in terms of devices. Well, I think we assume that all students have what's necessary and, and really they do not. Um, there are several students that I realized during the course of the semester who are uh, attending class uh, you know, via their smartphones because they didn't have laptops or other, or, or tablets or other kinds of devices to accommodate them. And can you imagine trying to, to do a paper on, on a smartphone? I, I, I can't imagine that, but, you know, so I think that uh, by keeping uh, the resources coming and responding to needs as, as they, uh, you know, as they uh, become apparent is going to be uh, critical for us in getting through this this next academic year and hopefully getting back on track in terms of our enrollment uh, and um, you know accommodating all of the students needs. Hey Jamie, so this is a, maybe a little bit different question for you since uh, Bergen is a state school, a, a government run school sort of. Uh, what was the aid that you guys have received and what do you guys still need? Uh, great point. So, Jeffrey, you know, I, I have to say we are very thankful to our, you know, county executive director, to our executive team at Bergen for, you know, really coordinating um, and going back to the whole point, right, because Bergen County is so diverse, you know, you have places where, you know, the tax brackets are insane and some places where it's not like that, right? But at the end of the day, all of our students are the same to us, right? We're here for them. And, you know, one of the things that we are definitely asking is, you know, again, supporting in that generation, right, supporting through technology so we can provide additional, you know, computers, right, laptops, uh, if not iPads, right. But one of the other things that I do foresee, Jeff, is that, you know, I've been paying attention recently, and of course, I know everyone in this panel with these unemployment benefits, right. And let me tell you, our office gets swamped every day now by hospitality industries from hotels, from, you know, these big chains that are saying, Jamie, you know, we need employees. People are not coming back to work. So I foresee that in the next weeks, months, there's going to be a big boom in people getting back to work because these, you know, these benefits will change, right? So because of that, I feel that if we get some of these funding resources that could be allocated to invest in our students, right, to provide these services, um, I think that's going to be a big hit because ultimately, right, it's the workforce, right? We want to get our students back to work. We want to reduce those, um, as I call them, employment gaps, which I know many, if not millions around the country suffered last year. Um, and we want to get them, again, in a space where they feel comfortable, healthy. So I feel if we can get some of these, um, you know, allocated funds, whether it's through grants or, you know, ways that we can support the student get to that point, that is going to make Bergen County as a whole, uh, helping our high school students transition into work. Um, and of course, just getting them back to the new normal, that is the biggest goal for us as well. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, Sakina, so as far as aid for, for a nursery school like yours, did you apply through a business aid or was it through education aid? We applied whatever grant was out there. You got nothing. Hmm. Not even through like a small business loan or was not? I didn't apply for the loan because I didn't want a loan. Um, so what we did was um, I used, we used, we had a good reserve funds and that's what, how we survived. Hmm. We used our reserve funds and that was it. Is there something that you feel the, the state could do? Do you know of any, you know, proposals that they we should be happening to... Uh, I, I did apply to a couple of the grants that was approved, the um, uh, 
phase one and phase two, and every time I applied for it, um, it there was no, nothing. Maybe that's something that you and Hope can talk about offline because Hope's our resident expert in uh, all things pandemic assistance. And maybe well, she plus, I have weekly conversations with the Jersey Chamber of Commerce. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I need to talk to them day after tomorrow and see what uh, I can get. Yeah, what, what's the loophole is there? Because the, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, I definitely, yeah, that's definitely a conversation you guys should have offline. Okay. Um, so, Ken, um, again, you know, you're part of the government, not part of the government. So uh, what still needs to be done? Well, just to, to kind of follow up on what Anita and Jamie said, obviously, technology was gigantic. Uh, and I think one of the issues that we faced was we didn't really know what we didn't know. You know, we didn't know <laughs> how much it cost to buy over 4000 student masks and how often we'd have to replace them, uh, you know, and end up now we're buying in the, in the 20,000 in a shipment, uh, things like that. So we took a lot of those expenses out of our operating budget. And luckily the federal government and the state came through with those grants, as Anita mentioned, uh, you know, the ESSER 1 and ESSER 2 have been huge in helping us kind of balance the budget and recover the costs that we put out. Um, now we just be notified that ESSER 3 is coming through I think we're going to get an amount today. So that's going to be a very big. So we've been getting a lot of financial assistance, but we could always use more. Uh, something as simple as the technology and the devices. You know, the first thing we did in March of last year was to assure that every student had a device uh, and had internet access. And even in a town like Fort Lee, you think is a pretty you know, suburban middle-class town where everybody had that, that wasn't the case. So we gave out close to 500 devices and a number of hotspots to families to use but all those things have a cost so the you know the money that we, we get is going out and it continues uh, you know one of the big issues is always hvac and air purification that's a facility issue that we've we faced and we pumped a lot of money into that and we've gotten some grant money that we can put towards that even extra personnel uh something as simple as uh, extra people work in the door to, to do the daily screening and to check mm -hmm. on the kids and an extra nurse in the, not a nurse, an extra health uh, assistant in the nurse's office to isolate kids who may be exposed or may have symptoms. Uh, all those things added up, but the federal assistance was, was greatly received and we're always willing to take a little more if it's, if it's there. Uh, but outside of money, I think number one thing we need, and I, I speak for myself and my colleagues, is direction and specific guidance from the state and federal, whichever's been, whoever's going to be in charge, someone's got to be in charge and tell us what the expectation is, whether it's CDC, whether it's the Department of Health, the Department of Education. You know, one of the issues that we faced was every time a mandate comes down, we have different groups interpreting it differently. And it takes time for it to trickle down. And finally, we get a directive that says, you must wear a mask. Well, you know, we could have, you could have told us that three steps ago. So I think that's one of the, the questions we needed was real direct, uh, specific guidance on all these protocols and moving forward, the same thing. We're still in a, in a quandary about quarantine regulation and travel. So, you know, we need assistance on that. And, and obviously that would be very helpful in being able to mandate, mandate what we do in, in the building. Do you get any of your mask supplies through the state, which has a discounted program for that? No, we, you know, we go out to low bidder. We had to do that on several items, uh, masks, hand thermometers, plexiglass, uh, Clorox wipes. You know, we, we have every, every classroom was, was equipped with a roll of paper towels, uh, a container of Clorox wipes, and a spray bottle of a disinfectant solution. And that was refilled as needed. But that's cases and cases of materials. Yeah. So um, we have to go to low bidder. That's our requirement as being a public entity. Um, the state police did provide masks through their, somehow through a funding to the state police provided us with a pro rata mask. I think we received something like 600 masks um, at one point during the year. Other than that, uh, we're on our own to purchase our own materials. And that's obviously proved a big challenge in the fall. 
Well, I mean, we're at about an hour. I mean, a little bit over from when we first started talking. But uh, does anybody have any questions for each other as the kids progress through the educational system? Um, Ken, do you have a question maybe for Sakina or Anita? Jamie, you have a question for Ken? Something you'd like to tell him to get his students ready for college? Or <laughs> I actually want to compliment Sakina because I think the strategy that she used with the little ones in terms of let's put the academics aside and let's let's attend to how you're feeling and your emotions and your mental well-being is something that we should adopt throughout the educational system. You know, I would be one to support the first day of class at FU, and this is just me speaking, that it won't be business as usual in terms of, you know, let's go through the syllabus and blah, 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 but, you know, really have... Um, uh, a time to talk about how are you feeling today? Mm. How, how was this experience? How can I help you? How can we help each other? How can we strengthen you? How, how, what, what support do you need? I think that's, that should be the opening conversation. Um, I don't know, Sakina, would you, would you like to add anything to that? And the, I would, um, I think the communication, um, for, for us, the communication was with the parents, uh, to communicate with them and keep them on board without getting too f involved with the school, but to communicate with them and keep them connected with the school and with each other without getting too much on top of each other, with, um, because that can also have other issues. So that really, I think we did very well in keeping the parents, giving them the space and the boundaries uh, and communicate with them and, and let them and know that we are a community and we are going to do things together. We are on the same page, all of us. So this community effort that our school had and continue to have helped us during this pandemic. We need to be a community. And that, you know, that communication, that empathy is from your little kids up to our business people. You know, I'm still making calls to members. How are you doing? What can we do to help you? Are you doing okay? It's so important and it's so appreciated. Yes. Everybody has to remember we really are all in this together. Yeah. Ivanda, did you have a question? As, as I do have a question. I'm interested in how the pandemic impacted you in attracting talent, your teacher's talent in all um, educational level moving forward. I'm, I'm sure the fluency in technology must be a big piece of it. And, you know, how are you dealing with that? Ken, are we seeing less? I mean, I've heard some anecdotal stories that people don't want to go into teaching now because it's, it's just too much of a hassle. Is yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. We've seen, we've seen a significant drop off in the number of applicants for open positions. Uh, our paraprofessional pool has drastically been reduced. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's really been a, a hindrance. But we've seen, even at the professional level of teachers, you know, where we have an elementary opening position, we might in the past have received 300 applications. And now for some positions, we're scrambling to find, the, you know, going through a dozen resumes. So it really is a significant changeover. Uh, I think, like you're saying, Jeff, that people are a little wary about getting into education because of the hassle and, and the demands of it. And at, at, during the past year, the proximity being with kids and being on the front line, I think that was part of it as well. So we've seen a, a big change and a number of, uh, you know, the schools are still graduating a number of, of educational graduates, uh, but they're moving on to other things. They're not coming for the teaching jobs. So we have definitely seen that the technology piece hasn't been as big as we, we or, or fear afraid of because uh, we've provided a lot of in-service ourselves and okay. we've done a lot of training for the teachers and especially the kids now, you know, say the young adults, I should say, coming out of college now are well prepared and well versed in technology and anything we can throw at them. Um, but there, yeah, there definitely has been a huge loss here. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to stay, you know, any longer than you guys want to, but I'm in no rush to get off either. 
So Anita, just on that point of the education students and people, kids graduating and wanting to be teachers, have you seen or heard any feedback from your students for in that regard? No, I haven't really heard much feedback from students, but but I do want to say that um, I, I I don't think at this point that technology is really uh, the concern um, at the at the university level anyway. Um, it, it's more in tr in attracting the, the diversity of talent um, as well as uh, providing attractive salaries. Mm -hmm. We're a private university, and and so if anything, you know, we we have had to operate as a lean and and mean machine, if you will. Uh, so uh, you know, that's that's carried over to uh, the kinds of positions that we have open and available, and of course, it, it has also has also translated into uh, the diversity of talent that have. Applied, but also uh, the salaries um, that have been offered uh, for these positions. That might be the whistle that says we need to stop. Um, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> anybody want to have the last word? And anybody have any final thoughts? Do we want to just run through the panel and uh, real quickly give each of you 30 seconds? Can you want 30 seconds for a final thought? Sure, and I think the, the, the key thing to this whole pandemic is, I kind of said before, we really didn't know what we didn't know going in, and uh, people have made huge strides in learning um, 37 years in education, and I did a lot of learning this year. And I think that's that's the key in all, all phases, is just to continue learning and expanding the open. And the collaboration is the second piece you mentioned. If we weren't working together, all the teachers, all the people, even district to district, we wouldn't be as successful as we are. Well, thanks, Ken, and thanks for joining us this afternoon and taking an hour of your time to no talk. Problem. Sakina, 30 seconds for a final word. Communication and empathy is something that we need to really focus on uh, projecting it to the parents. I mean, for us, it is the parents. The children are still very young, but we need to work as a um, team, communicate, and have empathy for each other. Thank you, Sakina. I think we can all learned a lot from you just in this last hour. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Jamie, what's your final thoughts? Thank you, Jeff. So I just say unity, right? Unity and understanding that talent comes from anywhere. Diversity is more important today than it ever was. And if we can give back and just connect even stronger, you know, everything is going to be solved uh, with due time, right? But I feel like this uh, pandemic, as Mr. Rota mentioned, right, we're learning every day. Um, and you know what? I've learned that united, we're going to get through this, right? We're going to get through this to help our students. And that's going to be, you know, I think not the secret sauce, but the sauce we all knew was there. And now we're just going to, you know, make it happen. So uh, that's that's the focus for today. Another great message. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for giving us your time this afternoon. Anita, that's it. You're going to have the last word then. Well, I have to concur with all that has been said. Um, we're in this together and we're going to get through this together and, and we're going to become better at being um, humans and treating one another with decency and respect. Um, that's what I foresee. All right. Well, that's that's a common theme with you, Anita. It runs throughout your social media and every time I meet and hear you speak. So I'm glad to hear it one more time today and as many times as you want to say it in the future. Um, back to you, Hope. You can wrap things up. And uh, thanks for having me. And thanks, everyone, for joining. Well, thank you, Jeff. You did your usual fabulous job being moderator. And thanks to all of you who agreed to be on our panel and our guests, our visitors who were participated. Um, I really enjoyed this. I think it was really so enlightening and worthwhile, and I hope to get it up on our website somehow or, or on our uh, channel that Fela tells me we have. So uh, <laughs> hopefully other people will be able to uh, get educated the way I was today. Thank you all so much, really. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.